Let's put our hands together and thank all our moms this morning. Moms, we wouldn't be there without you, right? We just wouldn't be here without you. We love our moms. We are grateful for our moms. Our moms, let's just be honest, this thing would be a mess without moms. I mean, they just do so much. They take care of so much. We would be a mess without our moms. It makes me think about this uh, This story I heard about from several years ago about a, mom, a, a teacher, and she's a second-grade teacher, and she was teaching all of her students all about the power of magnets and how they stick together and how they work and that whole thing, and she thought that the kids got a pretty good stranglehold of what she was trying to teach them, understood that pretty well, and so the next day when they came back in, she decided that she was going to give them a pop quiz, and she wrote it on the board. She said, okay, I have six letters in my name. It starts with M, and I pick up things. What am I? 80% of the class said, mother. <laughs> well, they're not wrong. You know, moms just pick up some stuff, right? Moms just take care of stuff, and, and we are grateful for moms. Moms will tell you that there is nothing in their life that's more, that will make them more fulfilled and yet also more tired all at the same time. And, uh, and I can understand that kind of a contrast. But today, if we're honest, um, today can actually be kind of brutal for some. Um, you heard Deborah making that prayer. And I think um, that that's, for some today, today is just a, a simple day of gratitude and joy. And it's absolutely awesome. But uh, for others, maybe you wanted to be a mom and that hasn't happened yet. And so there's a certain level of heaviness with it. Or, or, or maybe for some, you have a child and, uh, and the relationship is really difficult or painful and it's, it's awkward and so that relationship is strained. And so that can be difficult. For some people, um, they, they decided um, they weren't, weren't fit or didn't decide they want to be a mom. That was not a path that they chose. And so for you today, it can kind of make maybe feel like um, the society or culture around you make, makes you feel like a second-class citizen or something. Or, or, or maybe today, um, th there was a, a pregnancy that was terminated. And so there's a heaviness that comes with that. Or, or even possibly that you have a mom that you love dearly, but she's gone on to be with the Lord. And so today can be a real bittersweet day. And so I don't, I don't know what kind of relationship you have uh, with your mother or, or maybe even with the child. Maybe you started thinking, I don't even know if I want to come to church today because of all that that surrounds that. And let me just say this right at the outset. Um, th this is family. And, uh, and when Jesus came, he came to establish, create a new kind of family. And we are glad that you're here. And it doesn't matter where it is or, or, or what kind of background you're coming at this thing. We're, we're super glad that you're here. Maybe you're a mom here today and you're, you're a young mom and you're starting off launching into your family and uh, you're looking at things uh, really optimistically. Like this is going to be an exciting time for me. And I, I don't want to be like a negative Nancy anyway, but I will say that not every mom moment is like a Hallmark card moment. And that's, that's just the truth. And there's, there's lots of research uh, behind this. And, and when you become a parent, it doesn't necessarily mean that immediately it's going to lead to higher levels of happiness in your life. In fact, the research shows that, that it's meaningful, it's wonderful, but it's definitely not easy. In fact, they did this study and they asked some, some moms, some parents, and especially young moms, to, to rate certain household activities out of 19 different categories to put them in order of what is the most fulfilling and what's the most exciting, what's the ones that you love the, to do the most. It may or may not surprise you to, to find out that raising kids was not number one, nor was it number two or three. 
It was out of 19 categories, number 16. It, raising kids made 16s on the lift. It, it, it came behind exercising, food preparation, talking on the phone, watching TV, and even behind cleaning the house. Raising kids got down there on the list. And that's because it's not easy to be a mom. You know, it, it's kind of tough to be a mom. It, it, it's challenging. But boy, are we grateful for our mothers, aren't we? We're so glad that we have moms in our lives. I'll never forget the day that uh, Deborah became a, a mother, the day we brought home our little boy. Um, and there's, there's all the excitement that came with that, you know, all of the preparation that, that came in and was involved. I remember when they, we strapped our, our, our little infant son inside the car seat and, and they said, you can take him home. We were just kind of shocked. Like, you're just letting him, let us take him? Like, we don't know what we're doing here, you know? And, and they, they strapped him in and we, we started to take off. And, and, and I'll never forget that, that all the attention that happens in those early years and the diapers and the stuff. And I get that moms, new moms, how challenging that can be. Um, but I'll never forget, we were probably, I think TJ was about a month and a half and we were at church one day and we had this nice couple come up to us and they were just going to kind of check on us and see how we were doing. They said, well, what's it like? How's it like to be a new parent? How are things going with you? And, and we said, uh, I was looking at him and I, I said, man, it, it's going pretty good. Can I be honest with you? I said, it's going great. I said, it's really going fantastic. I said, I don't know about all these other people and what they're experiencing. Like maybe their kids are way more fussy than ours, but ours is just great. I mean, he cries sometimes, but we feed him, we change the diaper and everything's good. I mean, it really, honestly, if I could tell you this, I feel bad to say this, but did you know this? We, he's even sleeping through the night already. And, and I, was, I was actually saying this. And, and I said, man, he's, I haven't lost any sleep. And I turned to look at my wife who was standing right next to me. And I expected that she was just going to be nodding her head. But the look on her face in that moment is burned into my brain. Because it was a look of utter shock and confusion. She looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears. She said, what are you talking about? Right in front of this couple. She said, are you insane? I haven't had a decent night's sleep in almost two months. I haven't slept at all. And, and what I found out right then was what she was doing was what she was nursing the baby. So when he would wake up in the middle of the night, I just slept right on through it. She'd get up, take care of the baby, get him bed back down, and then go back to sleep. And so I'd wake up in the morning bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And she was not having any kind of sleep whatsoever. I had no idea how selfish I really was until I became a parent. It, it, was, just, it was just a difficult time for me to, make, to figure out that I was really kind of a selfish person. And I, I, after that moment, I asked Deborah, I said, are you happy? Like, are, are you okay? And, and Like, you don't seem happy. She didn't seem happy about that question at all. I, I said, are, are, are you happy right now? And she said, man, you have no idea. You have absolutely no idea what it's like to be around somebody constantly that you have to pick up after all the time. You have to feed constantly. You have to be at their beck and call all the time. And now, in addition to you, I have to take care of this baby. <laughs> And, and it's just in a moment I started to realize, you know, I probably should be helping her out a little bit more. And so young dads, maybe this is your cue to try and give her a hand because she probably needs it. There, there's a woman in, in your Bibles um, by the name of Hannah. You might have heard of her. And she has an amazing story. She's this incredible woman of God. And, and, and uh, like in her story is so much that we could learn. Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. And Elkanah actually had two wives. Why you would want to do that? I, I don't know. Elkanah had two and one wife was named Hannah, you might have heard of her, but his other wife was named Penina. 
And Panina uh, had something that Hannah didn't. Panina had the ability to have kids. And Hannah, um, her, her womb was closed up. She was not able to have kids in that moment. Now, Panina was kind of a, a, a rough person. She was kind of mean. She was always slamming Hannah on the fact that she couldn't have a child. And she was always dealing with this. Hannah was always dealing with the fact that she couldn't have it. Now, you need to understand this. Back in those days, um, a woman's identity was kind of wrapped up in this. It, it, your ability to have children, to bring life into this world, was a big part of your identity. And because of the fact that she couldn't bring life into, because she was unable to have babies, she was going to be looked at in a certain way. And, and the Panina was quick to kind of make fun of her about this and, and really come down on her at this. And, and Hannah could have handled this in a number of different ways, but rather than handling it any other way, she chose to do what Scripture says. In Proverbs 18, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. So instead of doing what Hannah probably felt like doing in that moment, she did what godly women know to do. She ran to the house of God. Hannah teaches us that in that moment, she, instead of doing what, what, what her flesh probably felt like doing, she just ran to God's house. Which, which, by the way, coincidentally, Mother's Day tends to be one of the, the number one most attended services throughout the year. It's just godly moms get it. They got to get to church. Coincidentally, guys, one of the lowest attended weekends happens to be Father's Day. So I think there's something that we could learn from godly moms. Godly moms, they just get it. And you can see this in the life of Hannah. That she got it. That she, she was going to run to the Lord. She was going to hand her burden. Whenever she had this, this heavy burden in her life, she was going to hand this over to the Lord. And so what Hannah did is she spent her time in the presence of God. Now, there was this uh, priest that was in the house, and, and he was kind of a wicked priest. His name was Eli. And when, when Hannah was running in this difficult moment of her life to the house of God, this priest, Eli, was, was seeing what she was doing. And, and he got it all wrong. This is how it's recorded in 1 Samuel. It says this, Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Now, I don't know if you're a mom here in this house or not, but I, I think this is for everybody. This is for everybody here in this house that we could learn from Hannah. And that is this. You're, there is no greater position of strength that's more powerful in your entire life than what she was doing right here. She was on her face before the Lord. When you find yourself in difficult moments in this life and you find yourself in difficult struggles where you don't know what else to do and where else to turn to, there is nothing more powerful than doing what Hannah did, which is to run into the presence of God. You'll never fall from that position. And that's what Hannah did. She, she got herself into the strongest position that she could be in, and she got to where she could pour her heart out to God. And here's what I want to do today. I want to use Hannah's story. I want, to, I want us to, to explore what Hannah can teach us today. Not just as godly moms. You might be a mom here in this place, uh, or, or maybe you're not. But I think there's a ton of stuff in her story that speaks to us that what we can, we can learn from her. Now, here's the problem that, that we have when, when you come to speaking on something like this. I'm going to talk about some of the things that I've seen in, in, from my own mother's um, example and from Deborah's and from stuff that, that I'm just convicted of that I've known over the years. But you might hear some of this and you might say, I don't have some of those characteristics yet. Like some of those characteristics are, 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 not, are not in me. And here's what I'm not doing. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus today. I don't want anybody to feel like just because there's something that, that I'm going to describe here that you don't have. Here's what I want. Every kid in this house, every child of a mother, here, have grace on some moms today. 
Because the Bible will talk about what an incredible godly woman looks like. If you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 31, there's this giant litany of what a godly woman looks like. Proverbs 31 woman. And if you read through this list, it's some incredible things. And I I just started looking through this in preparation of this weekend. And I thought, dude, if, if I was a mom in this place and I read through this list, I'd start feeling bad. Because there's so many random things that it tries to tell us that we're supposed to do. And it's not like a godly woman, you know, keeps the kids fed and makes sure they get to practice on time. It's all kinds of random stuff inside this. I mean, this Proverbs 31 woman is getting up before daylight. She's plowing fields. She's spinning flax. She's making clothes, not just for herself, but for the whole city. And I started thinking, man, like if if I was going to try and be a mom like Proverbs 31 is kind of describing, I would be in trouble. Can I just be honest with you? If Deborah leaves for a couple of days, like on a conference or something, I'm doing my level best to make sure the kids are just vertical and not dead of scurvy when she comes back. You know, like, like, I'm, like I think of all the stuff that, that moms do, and I think, man, when I look at a list like that, how could you possibly ever do all of that? How are you going to buy a field and plant a vineyard and all of this stuff? I mean, uh, on top of the fact that you're trying to get them to practice on time and do the laundry. And so I want to give you moms some peace this morning. If you ever read through this verse or you hear a message like this today, that you, you ought to have something that sticks in your heart that, that, that is this truth. That, that verse in Proverbs, that is godly women but it's godly women. It's actually describing a bunch of different women. So you might have certain characteristics when you read through a chapter like that, that you're doing really well, that you're just crushing it on, but there might be some other areas that I think we could all grow from. And so what we need to do is just look at this list and look at what a godly woman uh, that God describes is and find these areas where we can grow and these areas that we could develop in in our life. So so we're going to look at this godly woman, this godly Hannah, and see what we can learn from it. And here's the first thing that her story teaches me, that all godly moms have, all, all people that are running after God, they have a heart for God's presence. They just have a heart to go after the presence of God. You, you might as well throw in just a, a faithfulness to the church because that's what Hannah had. She had a faithfulness to, to run to the house of God. And when, when you have some of these things um, that, that happen in your life, difficult moments in your life, you've you got to be rooted in this. Hannah knew that, that because she was facing something that was really difficult and challenging, the place that she needed to be more than anywhere else was in the presence of God because that's the place where you can find comfort. That's the place where you'll find peace. You know, I think about how my mom is probably watching this message right now. And if she's not watching it now, she'll be watching it back on playback. And I don't know if you know this, I, I was the fourth kid of eight. My mom had a lot of kids. She had Larry, Sherry, Jenny, Tom, David, Christy, Danny, Katie. There was, there was a lot of us, okay? And I just want to take this opportunity right now to look right in that camera and, and say to my mom that, that I'm sorry for all of that rebellion and for those moments of difficulty from the foolishness, foolish decisions, all of the Hades that my brother Dan brought into the house. I'm, I'm really sorry that he had to do that to you. And no, I'm kidding. I'm like, I did that too. You know, if you're a kid, you bring these things into your, your mom's house, into your dad's house. And, but but, but the, I'm grateful that I had a mom that I knew that I could count on, that I could trust, that was running after the Lord. I'm grateful for that. I just knew that, uh, that, that before the day was out, my mom was going to be in the presence of God in some way. She was going to be in her Bible. I know this about my wife. Before the day is over, she's going to be in the Bible. She's going to be in the presence. She's going to be running after the presence of God at some point today, making sure that she's around God. And I'm grateful for that, for that example that she brings into our house. You know, I I think about that, and I think 
there was never a time in, in my life that I had to, ever had to go, God, would you please just do something to get my mom to fall back in love with you? God, would you put people around my mom so that she would be strengthened and uplifted and want to be a Christian? I never had to pray that, but I know she was praying that about me. There were times in my life, and I'm grateful for that, that, that I had a mom that would go to bat for me in prayer, that would pray for me. Hannah was like that. In the middle of her difficult moment, she was pouring her heart and her soul out before the Lord. And she just had this, this secret weapon that she deployed often. She had this, this constant, intense, prayer-filled, tearful prayer. She was purposeful in her prayer, and she went to the Lord. And I'm grateful for women that have done that. That, that, that she took the, the Psalm 37 verse 4 very seriously that says, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I'm grateful for godly moms and godly women that in their time of need, they sought after God. They went after God and then they, they prayed and they pressed in. The truth is eventually God, God answers Hannah's prayer. And she ends up having this, um, this amazing child, a child that goes on to be a prophet of the Lord. Samuel, the book that's, that actually recounts the story, is by his, it's got his name in the title. I mean, she did that. God answered that prayer for her. But, but there were moments in her life that she didn't even know if that was going to happen. But she chose to get in the presence of God and believe in spite of what she saw. Here's the next thing that I noticed that, that godly moms have. They have a heart for joy. They have a heart for joy in their home. My mom is crazy fun. I mean, she's so much fun. I, I was joking a minute ago about my, my brother Dan, but um, we actually, we'll get on the phone sometimes. He'll call me up, and, and he's my little brother. He'll call me up sometimes, and we'll get into a conversation. We'll start laughing, and we'll start laughing so hard. On numbers of occasions, I've had to excuse myself from a coffee shop that I'm working in because I'm just too loud, and I'm laughing because we just have a, a really good time together. I think about my sister. She's on the setup team, and she comes in here every, every Sunday morning and helps set up the church to get ready for church in the morning, and there are some mornings that I know if I were to get with her and we start talking, we're going to start laughing real hard, and nothing's going to get done. So I Sometimes I just walk away from her because I know it's just so important that I do that so we can get everything done in the church. The reason why I have that relationship with my brothers and my sisters is because my mom cultivated a house of joy. She was the one that was, that was working on that and helping us to have that relationship with each other so that even to this day, we laugh and we joke because we had a house that was filled with joy. Just the other day, this just happened to me. I was, I was in a meeting with somebody. I got up for an early coffee meeting, and, and we were having this meeting together. We were talking over coffee. and had a great meeting, just two, two friends catching up on, on what God's doing in the church and everything. And when we got done with the, the coffee meeting, I said, okay, well, I turned to leave because I had to go to the next meeting. And as I turned to go, I heard him call my name. And I turned around, and he said, hey, um, do you know that you have dress socks hanging out of your back pocket? And I said, what? And I reached back there, and I had, sure enough, I had a pair of dress socks in my back pocket. And I was thinking, how in the world? Like, what I'd done is that morning, I was trying to help Deborah with the laundry and some of that stuff. And I guess intending to put it up, I stuck it in my back pocket. And I'm grateful that he told me, because I'd have gone to every meeting that day with just socks hanging out. Aren't you grateful for some people that'll just be honest with you and say, hey, you got socks in your back pocket, you know? And, uh, and so uh, later, when I, as soon as I left there, I got in the truck, and I started driving to my next meeting. I called my mom up, and I started telling her about that. We laughed so hard about that and other stuff. I almost ran off the road. Like, like my mom has got a, it's just an incredibly joy-filled person in her life. And I love the fact that I've got a mom that can bring joy into her house. In this book of, of Samuel chapter two, Hannah is going through a bunch of issues. She's got issues that are happening all the time. And right in front of her face, there's this woman that is, is just, just being hateful to her. 
and spiteful and making fun of the fact that she couldn't have kids. And Hannah could have handled it anyway, but I love, I really like how the message translation puts her prayer. This is how Hannah prayed. She said, I'm bursting with God news. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rivals. I'm dancing my salvation. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the joy of the Lord. That's not her joy. See, the joy of the Lord is different. The, the joy of the Lord is not just happiness. Like, you, you might have seen people that you go like, man, I, I really, I, I like them because they're, they're, they laugh and they joke around a lot. They seem happy all the time. See, see, that's not joy. That's happiness. You know, we get that word happiness from the word happenstance. And it, it just really means that I happen to be standing right here. And where I am right now, things are going pretty good, so I have happiness. But if I were over here in different circumstances, I might not be happy. And that's not joy. See, the joy of the Lord comes from not what's happening around you, but it actually happens from what's coming inside of you. The joy of the Lord is the strength, not what's going on around you. And, and let me tell you this, guys, the enemy will do everything in his power to try and steal that joy, try and take that joy from you. But godly moms know that the Lord is the lifter of the head, that, the, that God encourages us. And that's what godly moms do. In, in Proverbs 31, it talks about a woman who clothes herself with strength and dignity. And in fact, it says she laughs without fear of the future. One translation says she smiles at the future. It's almost as if a godly mom can look through all of the pain, all of the difficulty, all the temporary stuff that's happening right now, and they can look right past that and go, oh no, but I see the future. I see what my God is going to do because I know my God loves me and I know my God's for me. And it may be challenging and difficult right now. I may have poopy diapers right now. I might have a broken window right now. I might have a kid that's walked away from the Lord right now, but I can see a moment in the future where my God's going to come through and he's going to be there for me. And I've got a joy and a strength inside of me that it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. My God is going to come through. That's what godly moms do. Hey, listen, man, I, I just love people that, that, that are, are filled with joy. I've never met one person in my entire life. I've never met a man in my life that said, you know what I'm really looking for is a de depressed chick that hates everybody. You know, that's what I'm really looking for in a wife. No, I mean, like, there's, there's value in, in having a joy-filled home. I love being around people that laugh a lot. You ever go to a church where they don't laugh? You ever, you ever been to that kind of church? When I was a kid, I went to a church where, they, like, you get in trouble if you laugh. You know what I mean? And it was just a different kind of atmosphere. And if you ever, have you ever been to a church like that? You know, where, like, like they talk about the joy, but they don't have the joy. You know, they sing about the joy, but they don't have the joy. It's like, I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And to stay. You know, like, <laughs> No, you don't. Just because you say you have the joy of the Lord doesn't mean you really have the joy. Just because you've invited Jesus into your home doesn't mean that you actually have joy in your life. In the Bible, there were these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they both invited Jesus into their homes, right, to, to, to experience Jesus into their home. But one of them was so uptight and so, and so worried about all the little details that she missed out on the joy. The other one experienced, Mary experienced the presence of the Lord and, and had real joy. But the problem was that, that Martha was looking around at everything and, and she, everything just had to be perfect. Everything just had to be just right, right? She was like, I got to get this right and I got to get that right. I got to get the kids right and I got to get the food right and I got to get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. And, and finally, Jesus looks at her and, and, and she's frustrated. Because she, she goes back to Jesus and she says, Jesus, don't you see I'm doing everything? I'm working so hard and my sister's not doing anything at all. Aren't you, don't you even care about that? You know what Jesus said? He said, Martha, Martha. Now you moms know, you call the name twice, you're in trouble. 
right? Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about a great many things. There's lots of stuff that you could focus on. Maybe this is freeing for some mom today. You're trying to get everything perfect and everything in your house just set and just so. And God says, there's lots of stuff you could worry on, but your sister focused on the one thing that was important, the presence of God. And if you'll focus on that, everything else will come into place. I remember hearing about a guy once, and he, this is how he described his house. He said he was, he was a busy, busy executive, and, and, and he had a real tough, challenging job. And when he left to come home, before he walked in the door, he would actually drive around his block three times just praying in the Spirit because he knew what he was going to walk into. And he just recognized that, that it was going to be a challenging and difficult environment. And I just got to say this. I believe that our homes should be refuges. They should be a refuge for us. And, it, and you know what does that? Joy. I thank God that I know if, if I had a challenging day, a difficult day, when I walk in the, in the door of my house, I've got joy in that house. That they're going to meet me and they're going to they're, they're gonna, they're gonna have a heart to say, hey, listen, this might be challenging, but we're for you. We're behind you. And we're going to laugh at what's happening around us because we know our God and he'll take care of us. Here's the next thing that I noticed that godly moms have. They have a heart to protect. They just have a heart to protect. That's what godly moms, we could learn that from godly moms, a heart to protect. I want to brag on you ladies for a moment. You're so intuitive. I have no idea how women do this. I don't know how moms, like moms just seem to know. Have you ever noticed that? Like they just know. <laughs> you know, I think moms are like the closest we're going to get to omniscient and omnipresence outside of Jesus ever. Because it's just, I don't know, they have like this sixth sense. They just know. Like I'm 99% sure that, that Deborah can read minds. We'll, we'll be at like a small group or a gathering or something. We'll be there, and, and she could be across the room. And, and I, I'm with a group of guys there in the church, and, and I think it's something funny that I'm going to say. And I start to say it, and I look over at Deborah, and she just goes. <laughs> and I'm like, how did you, I, like, you don't even, I wasn't even going to say anything bad. And she's like, yeah, you were. I know exactly what you were going to say. I'm like, she's just able to do that. You know, it's just women have this ability. They can, you guys can have five conversations at the exact same time and know exactly what's happening in each one of them. We, guys, we have one conversation. We're like, what's happening again? What, what's going on? Like, it's really challenging for us. This is the reason why, especially if you're newly married, like, like if you ask your, your husband, like you ladies will do this sometimes. You'll say like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking about? And, and you know what? Uh, we guys, we notoriously say, we say, Nothing. Like, we're, we're not lying about that, okay? We, we have the ability to think about nothing. We're thinking in, in that moment about absolutely nothing. And by the way, coincidentally, this is why when, you, when we do something dumb, really dumb, and you say, like, what were you thinking? We say, nothing, right? Because we were thinking about nothing. That's what happens to us as guys. But, but, but I'm so grateful for, for moms that think ahead and think for us, you know. I think of a time when I was a kid, when I was just a, a little kid. Like, this is before Netflix and stuff. And, like, if you wanted to entertain yourself, you had to go outside. And I, I, I praise God that I didn't have, like, a hovering mom. Like, she just, she was the kind of mom that opened the door and said, go, play. Come back when the streetlights are on. And, and, and if you wanted to, to amuse yourself in those days, you just threw stuff. That's all we could do. Like, we just threw rocks, threw sticks. We just threw things. And... I remember I went, I, one day I went around some guys and I, I don't even know where they found them, but it was on, they were on a street corner and they had a bag of, of raw eggs. And you know what they were doing? 
They were throwing them. <laughs> and I thought, this sounds fun. I want to be part of that. And so I just joined in with them. And here's what they were doing. They would wait for a car to turn, and then they would chunk the egg at the car, and they would hit them. And sometimes they didn't even know. they just drive off. And that was just a blast. And it looked fun to me. I, I, I've never had much of a pitching arm before in my life, but that day I became Nolan Ryan. I mean, like, I was incredible. Like, I would take these eggs, and I would just, like, and I would, like, nail them. And I did this one. This, this one car came, and it turned right down the street, and I let it go. And right as I did, it was perfect. I mean, like, the, it just flipped through the air, and it nailed this car, and the, the back window was down. And it hit it and went, like, whoever was in the back seat just got nailed. And, and I thought that was awesome. And, and then the car went, and, and we scattered like roaches when the lights come on. I mean, like, we're like, ah! you know, like we all took off. And I'll spare you a real long story. But, but needless to say, this hulking behemoth of a man got out of the car. And he caught me. And he threw me in. He said, where do you live? And I knew if I, if I got back to the house, I was dead. So I lied every way that I could lie. And then, when that didn't work, he finally took me back to the house. And w when they opened the door, I saw my mom. I thought, okay. I'm going to be all right. It's mom. Mom's all right, right? You know what my mom did? She made me clean up the car while she went and got my dad. Now I'm dead, okay? Because as soon as I was done, she told my dad, whose name was Larry, she said, Larry, he needs to be spanked. And so my dad did. He started to spank me. And in the middle of spanking me, then she started saying, stop beating him, Larry. Stop beating him. And we both looked at her like, pick a side. Like, which side are you on? See, because moms have the heart to protect she knew that I needed the discipline in that moment, but she also knew that I needed to be protected, like my life was in danger. <laughs> and, and I thank God for my mom that would do that for me. There was this woman in the Bible, her name was Rizpah. And I started not to even tell you about this, but um, because it's kind, of, it's kind of gory. But I think it just describes the heart of a mom so well. Rizpah, you, you may never have even heard of Rizpah. If you've read your Bible, she's in the Old Testament, you might have cruised right on past her. Because the Bible just kind of mentions her name and her story, and then it just moves on. But, but she had these kids, and she's, Rizpah is actually a type and shadow of Mary, of the mother of Jesus. And she had two boys, and, and they were hated. And for whatever reasons, the details of the story, they, they just absolutely hated her two boys. And so what they did was they, they murdered them. And uh, one translation says they were hung. Another one might say they were crucified. But she's kind of a type and shadow of Jesus. Rizpah was powerless to do anything to, to prevent the, the death of her sons. But I'll tell you what she did. And that's why I, I, I was tempted not to tell you this, but it's such a picture of a mom to me. You know what she did right after that? She, she spread out sackcloth, and she just stayed there from April to October, and she shooed away and scared off any wild animals or birds from getting after her son. And she just stayed there the whole time, sleeping night and day, making sure that they wouldn't come after her. And I, I know that that's a, like a gory imagery, but I just think it's the perfect imagery of a mom. They just have the heart to protect. They know their kids aren't perfect. And they don't always get it right, but the heart is to protect them always. That's what a godly mom, I think we could learn that from godly moms. And, and they're there for their kids. And you know what they do? They lead their house with conviction. I read this passage in, in 1 Thessalonians today, and I, I'd never read it with the mindset of a mom. But I, when I read it back to, I, all I could see is a mom inside of it. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 1. It says, for we know brothers and sisters loved by God. That he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. That's what moms do. It's like they got this conviction to not just 
tell you about what you should do and tell you how you should be living your life, but they try to show you. This is what a godly person does. They try to get the kids up and say, man, I know you don't feel like getting to church, but you're going to church because this is what we do. They try to lead their families in a way that has conviction. This might sound harsh, but my mom was never trying to be my friend. Now we're friends now and I'm grateful for it, but my mom didn't have this like internal burning desire for popularity with me. She wanted to be her, my mom first. She was more concerned about being my mother. I hear Deborah tell this to my kids all the time. She'll say, listen, I love you and I'm for you and I want to be around you, but I'm not one of your buddies at school. I'm your mom. And it's my job to protect you and it's my job to guard you and it's my job to, to guide you in the ways of Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful for moms that, like, that are like that. When, when I, I was a kid, my, my mom would say, um, you know, if I asked her, to, could I go do something? Could I go to this event or could I go to this thing? She would ask the questions like, what is it about? Well, what's going to happen? And I'd lie. I'd be like, oh, we're going to get together and read Bibles. We're going to memorize scripture all day. Like, that's no, that's not true. But my mom didn't buy any of that, right? She was always constantly making the phone calls and checking in. And there were some things that I couldn't go to because my mom loved me. There was events, there's some movies she wouldn't let me see. Why? Because she just loved me. She had a, a heart a, 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 to protect with conviction. Here's the last thing that I, I think moms do so well that we could all learn from is they have a heart to forgive. That's what moms have, an incredible heart to forgive. Hannah was in the middle of this, this difficult moment where she wasn't seeing the answer to her prayer yet, and she had this woman that was just constantly, you ever have those people in your life that are just so negative? They're saying, man, you'll, you'll never amount to this. She was just a jerk. I was talking to Deborah about this. She said, you know what, she was, Panina was probably looking at Hannah going, you know, oh, look, the garbage needs to be taken out. Maybe I'll just ask one of my sons. <laughs> like, you know, she was just that kind of person. You know, she's just mean, kind of spiteful person. And Hannah was dealing with this all the time. And, and she could have responded in any way. And she could have allowed that, that bitterness to take root in her heart. But she didn't get bitter. She got better. And that's what Hannah did. She just looked at her circumstances and say, I, you know what? I, I have a God that loves me. And, and I think this is something we can learn from godly moms that, that they're, they're not going to allow the things around them to, 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 to come part, become part of what they are and become bitter. Instead, they're going to say, you know what? I've got a God that loves me. And, and it doesn't matter what things look like right now. I'm going to choose to forgive. One time in, in scripture, Jesus was with Peter and they were at this house and they were talking and and Jesus said, well, how many times do I got to forgive somebody? How many times, like somebody that I'm really mad at. And he said, do I have to forgive them seven times? And the reason why Peter said this is he was trying to seem really holy. Like in, in Jewish custom, you had to forgive somebody three times. So what Peter did is he's going to double it and add one. So in other words, he's like, what if I forgive them seven times? And you know what? He was hoping that Jesus would be like, wow, Peter, you're incredible. You would forgive somebody that many times. And Jesus said, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. Four, that's 490 times a day. And is that what, Je that's not even what Jesus was saying. He was trying to say, no, it's not even that. Because if you can keep count with how many times you've forgiven somebody, you haven't really forgiven them. Because the truth of the matter is forgiveness is not about keeping up. It's about losing track. And sometimes I, I think moms understand this more than anybody because they're constantly forgiven things. You know, they're forgiven that spill and that broken thing and that wrong word that was said and that, that thing that, that, that happened with the brother or the sister and that, that they're constantly forgiving it. Peter didn't even get that completely. He didn't understand the whole thing. And so Jesus had to go in further and he actually gives him a story. And he says there was this servant 
And, uh, and they, they owed so much money. Some theologians think between 12 and $17 million. I mean, Jesus used this figure that was just so astronomical. He said, this guy owes a king $17 million. And because he owed so much, this, this servant was going to be thrown in jail and his family was going to have the whole thing. And so he begs the king, please, just, just let, me, let me work on my debt. Please get, forgive me of this. And it's just like when we go to God and we, we, we say, God, would you forgive me? He, he went to this king and he said, please just forgive me of this. And, and the king actually in Jesus' story had compassion on him. And he said, you know what? Okay, I'll forgive you of $17 million worth of debt. Now you would think that a guy like that, that got forgiven of that much, would turn around and, and, and be like, man, I can't believe I've been forgiven of so much. But that's not what he does. In Jesus' story, he turns around, finds a guy that owes him the equivalent of eight bucks, and he starts choking him. Because in, in Roman culture in that day, you could choke people that owe you money. Some of us want to bring that back. But, but, but he's, he's choking this guy, and the king sees it. And he thinks, what are you doing? I just forgave you of $17 million, and you're choking this guy that owes you eight bucks? See, I think sometimes we don't forgive people because we, don't, we can't remember how much we have been forgiven. God has forgiven us so much that literally he takes our sin and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. You could leave this place right now today and, and you could walk out, you could get on a plane, you could find the northernmost part of this planet. You get to the North Pole or you go all the way south and you can find the southernmost tip of the planet. But if you went out and you tried to find east, you know what happens? East eventually just turns into west. I don't think God said that by accident. He said, listen, I've forgotten your sins. You've asked for forgiveness of that thing. You, you dropped the ball. You made that mistake. And you've asked for forgiveness, and I've forgiven you. Sometimes we, we can't receive forgiveness because we, we don't even think that God thinks it that way. I think sometimes we go to the Lord and we think, God, would you forgive me again of this thing? And it's like up in heaven, like we got this picture of God that he's like, oh, you're asking again? Well, let me, let's go to your file, you know? Let's, let's, let's open it up. Let's take a look at the filing cabinet of your life. Let's go through the files. Here's the time that you asked for forgiveness of that thing in 2005, remember? You actually asked for forgiveness for that same thing 17 times. 17 times I said yes. Let's go a little bit further. 2017, remember that time you were fighting with your husband and I forgave you 212 times. I, I forgave you that 200. And it's almost like he's keeping track in this giant filing system in heaven. Let me tell you something that, about our God. God took the filing cabinet and threw it out the window. He's forgiven you. He doesn't remember your sins anymore. And if you've received that kind of forgiveness and you know what it's like to really receive that kind of forgiveness, you forgive differently. It's almost like, this, like, like if you could view a, a whiteboard in heaven. And on that whiteboard was every sin you ever did listed one after another. And you'd probably have to write really small, right? And this entire whiteboard is just covered with your sin. You know what Jesus does? He takes his blood and he wipes it all clean. Though your sins may be scarlet, he makes them white as snow. That's what God does, is he takes care of those problems. It's like mom spit. You, have, you know mom spit? And one comedian said that it's like made of 409. Like there's just something in it. I've watched moms clean stuff off of boys' faces with their spit, and it just goes away. It's amazing. It's miraculous. I watch moms take their spit and smooth down like cow licks. It's just like incredible. I watched this one mom recently, like she had a little baby, and the, the pacifier popped out of her mouth. And that mom, there was nowhere to wash it. So you know what she did? Moms already know the answer. They're doing it right now. They just picked it up she went, and just stuck it right back in that child's mouth. 
And she would, the baby was probably more healthy now because of that fact, because mom's spit is powerful. But it's not powerful enough to take away all your mistakes and to take away all your sin and your shame. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. That's the only thing that has the power to actually remove the sin and the problems and the areas and the issues of life that actually means something, that can actually wash it away. And if you've never received that kind of forgiveness, you can never give it. Maybe you're here today and, and there's a strained relationship. Maybe you're a mom and there's a, there's a husband or a, a child or an ex and you're thinking about all of the times they dropped the ball and all the mess ups and stuff that they made. Listen, until you receive forgiveness, like I'm talking about, you'll never be able to turn around and forgive them. Maybe you're here today and, and you hear the, me talking about the heart of a mom and you think, man, that's, that's really nice, preacher, but that's not the mom I had. Mom didn't behave in that way. And, and, uh, and I don't know if I could ever forgive her for some of the stuff that she's done. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you that until you've received the forgiveness that you've received, that, 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 that God has given you, until you've gotten that, you can't give it away. You might be a mom here today and you might not have been able to forgive yourself. And if you're honest, there's some stuff in that. Sometimes that can be the hardest person to forgive is me. Because I know me. I know my intentions. I know what I meant to do. And listen, I'm just here to tell you that no matter who you are, whether you're a mom or you're not, whether you're a man or a woman or child, God comes to all of us and he gives this freedom. He gives this forgiveness. He makes it totally available. And he did it in such a way this is why, to me, it just speaks like the heartbeat of moms. Really godly moms look to their father and say, it's just like that. Because it doesn't matter how many times you mess up, Jesus says, I'll still forgive you one more time. Maybe you came in here today and you feel like, man, I have dropped the ball for a hundred times. And this is a hundred and one. And on the hundred and one time, God says, I'll forgive you. If you do this, you come to me with clean hands and a pure heart. You just say, God, I recognize this is what I've done. I'm not going to try and hide it. I'm not just going to run away from it. I'm going to say, here's what I did. I see it. I recognize it. I know you've seen it. And so I'm going to bring it to you. And I ask for your forgiveness. And if you'll do that, the Lord will forgive you.